been here before. Um, every, uh, every so often, a couple of our elders get together in the morning, and we pray in the offices for the services and uh, for our gatherings and for the message and for people in our church and for the community. And, and I was in there this morning praying, and I was thinking about um, really just how amazing, of course, you know, that we all know that God is and, and how he works. And, and uh, Travis, who's going to be speaking this morning, he and I, we went to high school together. Uh, we played football together. We got in trouble together. We uh, uh, ended up going to the, uh, a school of ministry called the School of Evangelism in San Diego. We went to that school together. And um, I was, uh, again, as I was just reflecting, you know, here I am as a guy, grew up in Truckee, born at Tahoe Forest Hospital. Travis uh, was born at Tahoe Forest Hospital, went to high school here, played football here. And so, so is uh, Brad, Brad Knoll. So uh, Ivan's, we're looking for some more pastors and some more uh, missionaries out of the football team here in the next few years. Um, but just feel really blessed that, um, that, you know, God has allowed several of our, our, uh, our young people to have left Truckee, come back to Truckee, and, and Travis is one of them. Travis and I, as I said, we've been close friends, and he, uh, he felt a call several years back to go to Mexico and to serve orphans and widows in Mexico. And what he basically did initially is he and his wife and his kids moved to Mexico to join uh, an orphanage down there, and the funds were being mismanaged, and all, not all the money was going to the, uh, the kids in the orphanages. So he and his wife set up so ministries, serving orphans and widows, and basically became the accountability and the middleman for these orphanages. So if an orphanage had a need, um, like a church like us, could give that money to Travis, Travis would make sure all of those funds went towards that particular need. Uh, one of the stories he shared was of, a, of an oven that I remember that someone wanted to do, donate an oven to an orphanage that needed an oven to cook food for the children. And the money was given, and the oven was never purchased. And at that point, uh, I think it was one of the breaking points for Travis. Uh, he figured out, well, if, if an orphanage needs an oven, give me the money. I'm going to go get the oven. I'll put the oven in my truck, and I'll drive it to the orphanage, and here's your oven. And, um, and now, in the next phase of his ministry, so he joined an orphanage. He saw the mismanagement of funds. So he partnered with several orphanages, five of them, and then had a bunch of other things he was going on and doing. And, then, and now... He saw, uh, over the years, he's seen another great need for kids three and under, uh, that it's a real big issue to bring young children in and, and to raise them up. And so he and his wife are starting an endeavor to start their own orphanage for children three and under. And um, it's been great because he's a homegrown kid. This church invested in he and I. We stood up. Doug Brown was telling us this morning, he remembers when Travis and I stood here, and, along with uh, another gentleman named Mike Avila, and the church gave us each $1,500 to go to the school. And that $1,500 has led to, obviously, me continuing to be here and Travis being in Mexico. And, and um, now, uh, because of the partnership, Jeff Gilpin, who's our Awana missionary, uh, he visited Mexico with Jim Mathias. If you don't know Jim Mathias, he's basically our uh, kind of unofficial, official Hispanic youth pastor and has been serving all of the young Hispanic kids next door. And they went down to Mexico to visit Travis. And now Jeff is starting to partner with several pastors who want, to, want Jeff to help assist in planting Awana programs in Mexico. So through this relationship, we're helping orphans, widows, and we're also starting to plant uh, Awana programs in Mexico. And when Jeff came back from the visit, 
He said, I really love Travis. He's the real deal. And, and so I want, uh, I want you to hear from him again. He spoke last year, I think, and I and, uh, thought it would be good for him to come forward and share again. And so if you would, please give a, a warm welcome to Travis Owen. I'm the better looking one, right? <laughs> Jesse is a great man of faith. He lets me come up here for 40 minutes after saying some things about me, and that is a, a very trusting thing based on our history together. <laughs> so I won't embarrass him. I'll take the higher road. Um, but it's a, it's a blessing to be here this morning, and um, we're just so grateful, my family and I, for the partnership and what God has already done and what he is doing through Sierra Bible Church and the investment that they made, as Jesse spoke to, um, was life-changing for us. And for Jesse, it was kind of an immediate thing into pastoral ministry. And for me, it was a different road. I uh, coached football at Horizon for a year, and then I found myself back up here, actually lived with Brad and uh, my cousin in Rockland and met my wife through our church, and I started along the corporate path um, and just really had this desire based on my childhood to be a good father, a good provider, um, and a good dad to my kids. So I really focused on work. And um, that was the path that I had been on until God said, okay, now the season's changed and it's time for you to go and uh, invest more in the kingdom. And um, so I'm going to share some more at the end about specifically what we're doing, and Jesse alluded to it. Um, but I want to start today with we get asked frequently, what, how did God call you? What was that like for you to quit your career and, uh, and move to Mexico and uproot your family? And it really goes without saying that it's God. It starts with him. And the same thing that led to our calling is the same thing that has sustained us through the difficult times and the challenges of, of orphan care. Um, and many people say orphan care is warfare. And we've found that to be true. Um, but we believe it's worth it. And, and we're excited to, to be used by God to reach those that are hurting. And I think it's fitting this time as we get ready for Thanksgiving and we're with family and we reflect on all the great things that God has given us, um, the blessings, the family members, the friends, um, this just great season of thankfulness that we also remember those that are hurting, those that do not have that, um, those that are maybe not able to be with family um, or maybe have had lost a family member and are now a widow. And um, I just think it's appropriate time that as we reflect on our life and how thankful and, and good God is, um, that we reflect on those that may be hurting especially more at this time of year. Um, so I'd like to pray right before the message, and then we'll start in, um, actually, if you could, I, I almost skipped it. Some things I'm thankful for. My family couldn't be here today, but um, this is my wife, Amber. And our son and, and daughter, Lexi and Kyler. Kyler just turned 13. Lexi will be 11 in January. Um, she's lived more than half her life in Mexico. So that is, that is home um, for all of us. Really feels like home. And um, I'm extremely thankful for them and um, them serving alongside of us. Just getting to see my children serving kids that have had a rough childhood, a rough background. And as you can see, my daughter does not like babies at all. Um, my wife and daughter love, love babies. And um, it's amazing for me as a father to see my children serve 
and just to be used by God. And I think it's a reflection of how God looks at us. He delights in seeing his children serve and love other people. And um, so I want to begin today's message with that, that theme. And um, please just join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day, Lord. And I just thank you for this beautiful area, these amazing people, Lord, this family. Um, I thank you, God, for all the blessings that you've given us, Lord. I thank you for who you are. You are the father to the fatherless. You are the healer to the broken and the comforter when we are in need, Lord. And I just thank you so much for that, God. And I pray your blessing on everyone here today as we enter this week, that they would have a, just an amazing time with friends and family. And I especially lift up orphans, widows, homeless, the people that are just in despair, Lord, and, and that might be struggling even more during this time as a reminder of maybe what's gone wrong in their life, um, that we would just be sensitive to that, Lord, and that we could be used by you to reach them with your love, God. I thank you for this time and pray your blessing on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's amazing to come and see family, see the, fr the faces and, and be reminded of how God brought me here. And... Um, Last time I spoke, I was able to give my testimony. Um, today, it's going to be more of a Cliff Notes version, um, a little bit about my background. Um, my earliest childhood memory was when I was five years old, my fifth birthday. And I remember thinking that my father was going to show up that day. Turning five to me was a big deal, and I was extremely excited. And I remember that specific day, I remember getting ready to blow out the candles of the cake, and, and, I, and I wasn't going to do that until he showed up. And my mom had to pull me aside, and uh, it was then that she had to explain to me that he was dead and that I would never see him again. And up until that point, I don't know if, I can't remember even if that was ever explained or if I just didn't understand it. Um, but at that moment, it sunk in, and it became very real that I would never see my father. And um, he died when I was six months old, drinking and driving in, uh, in Tahoe City. And um, so throughout my life, there was this theme of fatherlessness. And it was never a time where I looked at myself as an orphan or a victim. Um, if anything, I, I would probably compensate for that and be macho and resilient. And um, when I was 15, I had moved already 16 times in my life. And I had lived with the principal at that time, and they were gracious enough to have me my whole sophomore year. I lived with them. And they were getting ready for summertime, going on vacation. And... They said, you know, we're going to be gone, and, you know, we, we loved having you here. You followed the rules. You did great, but we, we can't have you here all summer, um, which at that time was a very wise move because they had a nice house, and I was rowdy and wild. Um, so they knew what would happen. And, but I remember going to work, and I had kind of exhausted any possible places to live at that point, and it was at that moment where I was like, okay, now I'm in need of shelter, as we just sang about, and the the reality of that situation really sunk in. And I was working at Safeway, bagging groceries, and I remember Jesse's mom coming through the line, and she could tell that something was off. And I, I was super close with Jesse, spent a lot of time at his house, and she knew me pretty well. And she said, what's going on? What's wrong? And I told her, you know, I, I need to find a place to live. I have nowhere to go. And uh, kind of sunk in, and she said, well, come see me tomorrow. You know, come to my house after school. I think I might have a solution. 
And uh, so I show up the next, the next day, and she introduces me to Jesse's grandparents, Joe and Donna Straub, who are here today. Um, and they took me in graciously, just amazing. And people that were getting to this point of life of retirement and rest would take in a, a teenage rowdy kid um, that they didn't know that, you know, was on the football team and probably smell up their house and all the things that go along with a rowdy teenager. Um, but it was then that they really showed me who God was and who God is. And they asked that I would, you know, follow some basic rules. Um, and then they invited me to church. I said, yeah, I've really never been to church. I'd love to go. What was most intriguing, I had heard about Jesus, but it was them that really showed me who Jesus is. And going to church and hearing the word and, and having those dinner conversations were truly life-changing for me. Um, and just the investment that they made is really what drew me to God and really showed me the character of God as father to the fatherless. And um, I got saved when I was 19, and then fast forward to today, um, and it's just been a theme throughout my life, and it's a great place to be when you really understand what God's called you to do, and for a long time that I didn't un understand or know, um, but this season of life, it's, it's very clear, you know, what our path is. Um, so with that said, I'm going to dig in. Uh, before we get to Psalms 146, A.W. Tozer once said, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the future of that man or woman. What comes into our mind when we think about God? If we were able to extract that, we could figure out the, the spiritual future of that person. Um, and the reality is we always, we always live out what we believe. We always live out our beliefs. Our, con our lives are consistent with our beliefs. If we think that God is a judge, a strict judge, we're going to live a life that's trying to follow rules and please him. If we look at God as a distant, impersonal power, we're going to live our lives accordingly. If we see God as a loving father, we're going to follow that plan and live life as his children that just want to please our, our father in heaven. So I want to begin today really looking at the character of God and who he is. In Psalms 146, Charles Spurgeon has a famous sermon on this psalm, and it's titled, The Lord's Famous Titles. Psalms 146, I'm going to read just starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoner. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. What a great psalm. I mean, beginning and ending with praising God and just that attitude of how good God is. 
And then in verse 3 and 4, you hear about trust. Where do we put our trust and our hope? And our trust in God, not in the things of this world or even the people of this world, but ultimately in Him. And then as Spurgeon mentions the the titles here, they begin in verse 7. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Spurgeon called him the emancipator. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He is the illuminator. I love that. I love that, that title. Removes the scales from your eyes so that you can see spiritual truths. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. He is our comforter. The Lord loves the righteous. He is our rewarder. The Lord protects the stranger. He supports the widow and the fatherless. He is the father to the fatherless. The fifth title, as Spurgeon mentioned. And you can look up that sermon. You can Google it and download the whole thing. It's a a great sermon. He goes into a lot more detail. Um, But I love that title, Father to the Fatherless. And that's our first point today. God is Father to the Fatherless. In Psalm 68.5, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. All throughout Scripture, we see God's love for the oppressed, those who are treated unjustly. In fact, in Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29, we read about how God made provisions for the orphans and the widows. He actually built it into the law. He wanted to make sure that his people didn't forget these people that are typically forgotten and and not within our, our sight. At that time, if you wanted to please God, you would, part of that included caring for the orphan and the widow. All throughout the Psalms and Proverbs, you, you, you can't read for very long without finding that theme of God's love for the oppressed and the vulnerable. <clears throat> In Isaiah 1.17, we hear the commandment, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then Job, <clears throat> he's defending his character in verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 14 through 18, says this, what then, could I do when, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? Did not he who made me make in the womb make him? And, and the, one, the same one fashion us in the womb? If I have kept from the poor for, from their desire, or have caused the eye of the widow to fall, to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it. But from my youth, he grew up with me as with a father. And from my infancy, I guided the widow. And we know about Job's story, but I think it's amazing when defending his character that he talks about caring for the vulnerable, the orphan and the widow and the stranger. Um, God is our father to the fatherless. That's his title. That's his nickname, so to speak. Second point for today, God loves everyone made in his image. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are all fashioned by God in the womb with unique skills, talents, desires, um, fingerprints. God uniquely fashions each of us. And Psalms 139 is a great, great chapter that speaks to that of how God creates us and his thoughts for us. Um, Psalms 139, 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts, David says. You covered, knit or woven me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. David understood this. And David realized that, you know, we value people because we treasure God. And people are important because they're made in the image of God. And I love this quote by Dorothy Day. It says, I really only love God as much as I love the person that I love the least. I really only love God as much as I love the person that I love the least. That, when I first read that, I was so convicted. It's like, man, that is just puts a whole different perspective on how much I think I love God. And for some reason, the first thing that came to mind was someone that I dislike. And maybe that's the case for you. But then we realize that the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. It's having no care or compassion at all for a person. And so the people that we love the least might be people that we never even think about. The forgotten, the orphan, the widow, the homeless person. And in the Matthew 25 judgment, this speaks to our inward faith expressing itself in loving other people and how we cared for the stranger, how we helped them. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was hungry, you gave me food. And then Jesus goes on to say, whatever you did or didn't do for the least of these, you did unto me. And I think it's just such a powerful statement of, of who God is and, and, and what our responsibility is as children of God bought with a, with a price. Third point for today is, so talked about God's character, talked about all people being important with specific um, emphasis on those that are often forgotten. The third point is, how, how does God execute this? What's his answer to be the father to the fatherless? And how does he care for these people? And the answer is the same as his character. It hasn't changed. God's character is the same as it was in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Um, it's the spirit of adoption that God's people are drawn in because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we are no longer orphans, that we are now brought into God's family. And through that, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. What God does for us spiritually, he wants us to do for people physically. And that was such a great example of just looking back and being thankful to, to people that were just willing to take me in and unofficially adopt a kid. Um, and, and in my mind, that, that never made sense. But looking back, I could see that that was just God working through those people. And um, I, I'm extremely thankful and, and just blessed. When you look at this idea of adoption, you look at who we were before and sinners enslaved to sin and then what God did on the cross through Jesus and then who we are now as children of God. And the beautiful thing about this picture of adoption is when you think of a, a young child being adopted maybe from another country, is that child literally does nothing in that process. People show up, follow a lengthy, complicated process, and then all of a sudden they're brought into the family. And the kid is like, literally does nothing. And that's such a reflection of our faith with God. He did it all. He paid all the price. And, and we are given the gift, and it's just a matter of us receiving it. <clears throat> this idea of spirit of adoption is emphasized in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestows on us in the beloved. I love this passage. When you look at it, before the foundation of the world, he predestined us to adoption. Adoption wasn't God's plan B. It didn't surprise him. Um, it wasn't something that was, you know, a mistake. It was something that was planned out that he would have a plan to save his people and to draw them into the family. Adoption was God's plan A. We as humans really essentially need three things primarily. One is to love and be loved. Two is inclusion within a community, a sense of belonging. And then the third is a sense of identity. Spiritual adoption meets all three of these. We are loved by God. We are brought into the family. We are included. And we have a sense of identity as children, God's children. And then finally, James 127 which is a very well-known scripture, especially when you talk about orphans and widows. It says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. The brother of Jesus points out the two marks of genuine religion here. The first is outward charity towards others visiting and caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And the second is inward holiness, keeping oneself clean from the world, refusing to let the world corrupt us. And as I dug deeper into this passage, the term visit, when we're, when we're regarding visiting the orphans, is a Greek word, episkotohimi. It's hard to say that. <clears throat> it's the same word, though, that we get the word pastor from. And I thought that was just incredible to think. We are called to pastor the orphan and widow. We are called to shepherd them. We are called to bring them near. And when looking at that, it's, it's deeper than caring for physical needs. It's caring for the whole person. And sympathy says, I'm sorry that you hurt. Empathy says, I hurt with you. It's a deeper level. Compassion takes it another step further. Compassion says, I will do everything in my power to help your hurt and to help you. And all throughout the life of Jesus specifically, we read about Jesus being moved with compassion to help people. I want to be like Jesus. I, I was blessed to have people in my life that reflected Jesus to me. And that's my desire. I'm sure that's your desire. That's why you're here this morning, is that we want to look like Jesus. We want to reflect him to people that are lost and hurting in, in a sometimes ugly world. We need to have compassion. And we do that by drawing near to our Father and receiving the love that He has. And then it's just a natural outflowing to others. And we look at how the early church handled a situation that broke out looking in Acts chapter 6. If you want to turn there, I know I jumped around to a lot of different verses. <laughs> but
But Acts chapter 6, I'll actually read. So if you're reading along, go ahead and jump there. Just to give a little background on this situation, it speaks to it briefly, but the Hellenistic Jews were of Jewish descent. They were from the land of Israel. They spoke Greek and were raised in a Hellenistic culture. And then you have the Hebrews who were Palestinian Jews who spoke Aramaic. So you see these two different groups of people doing life together and then one group feeling slighted because their widows were being neglected. And this issue gets brought up to the church leaders. And the response is is pretty amazing. So chapter 6 in Acts, verse 1, and I'm just going to read through to verse 7. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the, of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. <clears throat> and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurius, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they had set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I love this picture because it shows a problem. It shows dissension between people, and we see that a lot these days, different people groups that feel um, that they're being slighted, and and the response of the church is, is amazing. It's a great model for us. They stopped what they were doing. They recognized the problem. They realized that they had to apply valuable resources to that problem, but they also understood their calling and their specific part of the body of Christ, and they knew that they couldn't neglect those responsibilities. So they chose men, and when they talk about serving tables, you look at Stephen as just one of the examples of the men chosen, a man of great reputation. This was a guy who was valuable and could have been valuable to their work. So it wasn't as though they looked at this as a menial task. It was something that was important to them as evidence of of Stephen, who they they chose. When we look at the result, the end result of this situation, we look at God being glorified. We look at the people coming together and being unified. We look at the poor being cared for. And we look at the church growing. They honored God through the power of the Holy Spirit and God blessed their work and grew their number. And they set a great example for us as Christians, as the family of God, of how we should approach these situations. So what does this mean for us as we close out? Um, I believe we're all called to help orphans and widows and those in need, the vulnerable. And that looks different for each and every one of us. I know many here are not called to go to Mexico, just as I'm not called to be a pastor like Jesse. Um, But we all have different gifts and different callings. And I believe in this, we are all called to be part of it, to do something. And that may mean 
becoming a foster family or a foster parent. That may mean adopting a kid. That may mean supporting an adoptive family or a foster family locally. And it may mean partnering with our ministry or ministries like ours that reach orphans and widows around the world. When we look at this, we begin and end with God, who is our provider and sustainer. He is the father to the fatherless. He cares for everyone made in his image. And we are his plan A to a hurting world. We have this opportunity to be a blessing and to plant seeds in the lives of others so that they may come to know him and that they may inherit the gift of life and be with us in heaven. And it's a tremendous blessing. And as we transition, it's kind of the close of my message, but this blessing theme carries on to what we're calling the children's home, the blessing, the blessing children's home. And part of the name is just that, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And the children's home perspective is, is different because most people, when they think of an orphanage, there's institutional things that come along with that. And what we've seen in five years being in Mexico is that children need to be in families, but that's not always possible. So you have to find a solution within the reality of, of those challenges. And Mexico is, is very, very difficult. Um, we went through this year the process of getting our nonprofit established in Mexico. And it was a lengthy process. And thankfully, God provided people from our church that actually helped and a lawyer that got that process um, handled for us. But it just goes to show there's a lot of barriers and challenges to kids being put in families. So I'm going to show the video that kind of speaks to our vision. It actually shows the rendering, which was done by an architect friend of ours in Mexico. Um, but before we roll the video, I want to preface a couple things. Um, you see this, you'll probably think it's, it's very elaborate. You might think that um, it doesn't look like Mexico. And you might think that maybe we're crazy for this vision, but um, hopefully I can explain the concept and don't get wrapped up in the architectural elements of it. Um, as many of you, if you've worked with an architect, they're not going to make it look bad. And if they do a rendering, they're going to do it really well. And they did it for a very uh, low cost for us. And um, not all of the things were translated correctly. So you'll see a, a lady holding a baby right next to a bonfire that's like 10 feet high. I don't know how that happens. I have no idea. We're not roasting babies. Like that, there's no, are we sacrificing baby? I mean, I don't know. So you'll see that. And you'll see other things. And we don't know what the end result will look like, but God knows. And right now we're in the process of purchasing land and, and, um, raising support for that. And then we believe that once we purchase property that God's going to provide the groups to come down and help build. And God's going to provide locals that we can hire from within the community to provide jobs. And God's going to provide what we need to execute his vision if it's his will. Um, so don't get caught up if it looks like a resort. It may not end up looking like that. The houses will show granite countertops. It's probably not going to happen. If God provides that, hey, it's awesome. We'll accept it. But um, So with that said, um, I'll speak over the video and just kind of narrate. Um, but if you want to roll that. This is a property in Carranza, Mexico, 45 minutes south of the border. 
It's a small, poor community. This area actually has one lady that, um, Lord willing, would be our cook. And she's already living there with her family. And she's actually going to be trained up with the WANA Ministries. She's doing an after-school program that she just started on her own. And she has anywhere from 30 to 40 kids from the community um, already coming. So we're not on a main road. Um, like you'll see the, all these cars passing by. That's not one of, that's one of those things. We are on a paved road, which is amazing. And there is power right on the road. So we have access to electrical. There's water from the city, which those two things are huge, if you know anything about Mexico. Um, and it's easy to get to. So this is the kitchen dining hall area. So the first phase, this is the multi-purpose room that would be above that. That's our first, one of our first buildings is to build a kitchen with an area for dorms and groups to stay, which would then later be a multi-purpose room. This is actually two houses connected. Um, the, ho the houses we plan are about 2,000 square feet. There's the nice granite, granite countertops. Um, but our vision is to have Christian house parents that will raise six to eight children per home and that those kids will be raised consistently with the same house parents um, until they're 18. So six houses, six families, essentially, and the player in the community feel with everything being in the middle. He got carried away with the arches, too. My wife said, I really like arches, the Mexican arches. There's like 75 of them. So again, some of the design concepts obviously are, are more elaborate. This is the baby's room where we will have eight to ten babies, the capacity, um, with a laundry room next to it. And then our house will be above that in the early phase. Um, and then later that would be intern housing or group volunteer housing. Um, this right here goes through the, the phases. So again, you have the kitchen and multi-purpose room the baby house with our living above. And then each of the next three phases are two houses, one for boys, one for girls, six to eight children above the ages of three that would age out of the baby house. So if they're not adopted, they would be able to live there. Um, and think of it as more like supervised foster care would probably be a better example than what you would think of of a typical orphanage. So then you have group housing for groups and volunteers that come down, office, our house at the last phase, um, and then actually a church, as we had found throughout the community, community. There's two very small churches within this community, but there's literally no growth. Um, we don't know really how healthy the churches are, um, but our church, Calvary Chapel Rosarito, has a strong emphasis on church planning. They actually have 22 people going through church planning class right now um, that are seeking to be pastors. So in talking with the leadership, we said, what if we had a church in this community where these people that are learning could come and preach and they could be a blessing to the kids and the community there in preparation for them moving out different parts of the world? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. I don't get it. So a lot of the groups that come down, um, we actually have a, uh, good friend and partners of ours who have an orphanage about 10 minutes south of us. They had over 250 groups last year alone. And their buildings are all completed, but they're always looking for places to send these groups. 
So they are very excited that we are looking at property so close because we could be used um, for them to send their groups and teams that want to come down. Um, so really, the building side of it, I'm, I'm not as concerned with. Again, that's another element. It's not right on the ocean. That looks like Hawaii. But um, that would be awesome. <laughs> A big focus for us is wanting to be within the community. So you can find property um, in the outskirts. You can find property at the top of the hill, you know, but you're, you're talking about no water, um, no electricity, roads that are terrible. Um, and my wife and I have had opportunities to come and start um, projects there, and we just we didn't understand why people would do that, other than the cost, obviously, because it's so affordable. But the long term just doesn't make sense. You know, if you're going to invest in this, and for us, it's, it's our life. We don't ever see ourselves leaving. So it's different than most people that are starting orphanages because they'll invest a year or two and then they're gone. And for us, we're like, long term, you're going to spend more money on cars. You're going to have problems, medical issues, and you're, you're, it's not safe for kids to be in the outskirts like that. Um, and then this, this property came up and was just amazing that it would have the, the necessities of electricity, city water, drivable roads to get to. Um, it's close to a free medical clinic that our friends run. Um, it's close to other ministries that would look to partner and pour into us. Um, so we're really not as concerned with the construction side uh, of something like that with that concept and layout. Um, and right now we're just praying and working hard towards raising the funds to purchase the land. And God's just been amazing since we announced this earlier this year. We've raised half of the money. We've raised $100,000 to purchase the land. And we have a donor that's willing to do a match for $30,000, dollar for dollar match. Um, so we're looking at 100000 and our goal was to have it by the end of this year. And we're just trusting and praying that if the Lord wills, that we would raise the money and be able to put a, an offer in to purchase the property and get started. So with that said, um, I'm going to have Jesse come up. Where's Jesse? Oh, there he is. My younger brother. So I just want to say a couple things as we close out, and I want to pray for Travis. Um, <clears throat> as he shared, you know, he has a background growing up without a father, and <clears throat> I would have grown up without a father if my stepfather didn't come into my life at two years old and take me in. And one of the things that he mentioned in the message was the spirit of adoption. And what we have to understand is without without Christ intervening in our lives, we are all in this room spiritually orphaned. And Christ saw fit to pay the price, as he mentioned, you know, um, those of you who have adopted and, and know the process, it's a long process, it's a lengthy process, and it's a process that you have to pay into to a degree, and there's great sacrifice. You can't adopt a child without great sacrifice. And Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice and payment that you would be adopted into his family. And once we're adopted, the Bible says that we then become true sons. There's actually this language scripturally that you, you know, where, where you bring in uh, an adopted um, child, there's sometimes this thinking, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't share the same blood with them. But what Christ does in that spiritual family is he actually, you know, in somehow, some way, hides us within Christ himself, and we actually... We're no longer just even adopted child. We've been woven into the branch. We become blood children 
with Christ. And so we're not even, we become not even necessarily adopted, we become legitimate children inside of Christ. And when we understand that, we, we then see that, that the Lord gives us this same spirit of adoption, and that should play out. As Travis said, none of us in this room are free to not be a part of adopting. And sometimes that adoption is evangelism. You share people with your faith. Some of that is going or, or being sent or doing missions trips or funding or what have you. And um, to the extent that you understand your adoptedness will be to the extent that you will be a part of adopting and fostering. And that same spirit of adoption that exists in us has, has just kind of played itself out in Sierra Bible Church unintentionally as well in a very beautiful way. We have Russ and Michaela who are here this morning, and they started Foster the Sierras, which is helping people foster and adopt here locally. So as Travis mentioned, maybe you get involved locally, and we have a, we have a, a whole fund that, that's part of uh, Sierra Bible Church that is used for those families. We have several families who are going through the process. Uh, actually, it was just used as a resource, uh, uh, a reference for someone in the church here that's looking to foster and adopt. But Travis is part of that too because we, we cannot as Christians have uh, just this small view of, well, I just do what I do here locally and in Truckee. We also have to understand that we've been called to do it larger than that and globally. And part of that for us is in Mexico. And several years ago, like I shared, this church, $1,500 a kid is what this church gave to each of us. I think you got your money's worth. And now he's standing before you in, in his next journey. And what I shared with Travis last night, we, it was just so you know that we actually practice evangelism in our home. We don't just talk about it. We have some neighbors that don't know the Lord, and they invited us over for a pre-Thanksgiving and so we went over, Travis and I were talking awesome. about the, the orphanage and, and um, you know, of course, in those settings where people are drinking a little too much and they ask you what you do for a living. <clears throat> what kind of work are you in is what I was asked last night. So that's interesting you should ask. <laughs> and, um, and we were sitting there talking and I was sharing with Travis over dinner. I said, you know, I don't, I don't want our church just to be uh, a place where we give you funds. We want to be family with you, and um, we, want, we want to partner. We want to help hold each other accountable and to know that we're connected in family, that we're doing this together, because this kind of stuff, you know, he stands up here and says, we're going to take eight kids in each home, and we've got six homes, and you do the math of how many kids that is, and and next thing you know, you think, well, that's really awesome and amazing. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be emotionally draining. It's going to be spiritually taxing. And not only does he need financial support, he needs family friendship support. And so that's why he's been brought before us a couple times in, over the last year. And, and it's because I want to help strengthen him spiritually as well as help financially. With that said, there is a financial need. He's raised $100,000. They need another $100,000 to purchase the property. They're not going to go into debt to do it. They're going to pay cash. And if we raise 30000 or if he raises 30000 Someone's going to match that 30000 What's the math on that? 160 which means now he only needs 40 And we're just, we're just a small part of that. And then that buys in the land. And then he's got the whole thing planned out for phases, and it's about $200,000 for each phase. And so it's going to take time. But I can tell you one thing about, about Travis, because I've known him for so long, um, especially when God's been at work in his life, whatever he, put his, he has put his mind and his heart to, 
God has gotten behind it and has blessed it, and he's done it. And these two are, his wife, who's not here, is way better looking than both of us. Amen. Um, she, you can just see, they, they, they're all in. And it's a blessing in the day and age of consumeristic mentality where someone says, well, I'm going to go for a year, I'm going to go for two years. And instead you have a guy who's standing before you who left the corporate world and all that the corporate world offers and said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life raising children that are not my own as if they were my own. Come on. <clears throat> I'll give you $5. <laughs> With that said, I want to pray for him, and then we want to sing because because we worship. You know, we, we, a while back we, we started doing a song at the end because it's not appropriate to leave and forget. Uh, we need to respond and so I want to pray, and then I want us to sing to the Lord, and in our hearts, sing with thanksgiving. We're celebrating Thanksgiving this week, and the one thing that we should be more thankful for than anything is the way that God intervenes so beautifully in ways that we just simply wouldn't experience without Him, and to be thankful that you and I are, are adopted into this family, and that you're my brothers and sisters, and uh, we don't look alike. But we don't. Well, we do to a degree. I don't know how I feel about that, actually. But. <laughs> well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, Travis and Amber and their children. Thank you for the sacrifice that they have made. I pray, Lord, that our church would be um, a source of encouragement for them. Lord, not, not just financially, but so much more than that, relationally, that we would encourage one another, strengthen one another, that we would help each other. Sharp, as our iron sharpens iron to be about the vision of bringing lost souls into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this man who grew up without a father to know the greatest dad of all dads, to be fathered by you, to be raised by you, to be sent out by you. Lord, we know you don't need us in ministry. You don't need any of us. But like any father, you want to include us into your work. And for that again, Lord, we, we ultimately say thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would provide abundantly for so ministries and for this house, Lord, this home. We pray in advance for all of the children that will go through it, that they would be provided for and that they would know you and fall in love with you and worship you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.